she wakes so, up. I don't want to re-record my intro, but I do need to tack this little pre-intro intro on. Um, during this episode of the podcast, there was a lot of problems with my internet. I eventually ended up having to switch to my phone's mobile hotspot and recording that way. Um, I swear it wasn't a screw-up on my part this time that caused the problems. This was just my internet decided to suck at just the wrong time. Um, it does do that from time to time. I probably should have thought to be on my phone's hotspot beforehand. But um, still, great stuff up ahead. Um, definitely lots of amazing commentary on Buddhism from Dan Rottenham. Uh, wonderful dude. Um, thanks, guys. Have a nice day. Alright, what's up everybody? Um, today I'm going to be talking with my friend Dan Rottenham. Um, Dan, I met him while I was writing the Buddhism essay. I was doing research. I had gone to some Buddhism groups um, to ask questions and see if they could help me figure some things out. Um, and then Dan just came in and sat there and ba he basically co-wrote the essay. I wish the website would give me the ability to attribute a co-author because he really, he wrote it just as much as I did. Um, so today I want to sit down and talk with him a little bit more about Buddhism, have some questions I have, uh, some context that you may need is that I'm literally a diagnosed narcissistic sociopath. Uh, by that, I mean I have a personality disorder called antisocial personality disorder with narcissistic features. Um, and a lot of my questions are going to be about um, how Buddhism and the lessons I've learned from it relate to that and then I'm also going to probably end up working in my treatment, uh, at least parts of my treatment that are relevant. Um, so yeah, I guess that's about all the introduction you need. This is Dan Rottenham, the Buddhist God. Uh, have a good one. Alright, um, so... I already recorded an introduction that I'm going to do where I talk about it, how I know you and blah, blah, blah. Um, okay. So we're just going to jump right into the, the good stuff since we already wasted a bunch of time. Um, so, like I said, I really love We Are This Light, uh, your podcast. Um, it really speaks to me because the principle in it, if I'm understanding correctly, is that within all of us there is a pure being. We were born pure, selfless beings. Um, and that being is still within us somewhere and it's always going to be there. We don't need to look outside ourselves or improve ourselves or change ourselves from anything other than what we are. We just need to uncover what's already in us. Um, the reason that really speaks to me is because I've always kind of like had a theory, a thing that I told people is that inside of all of us, there is a piece of God. Um, so does that kind of sound like it lines up with We Are This Light? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's kind of different words for the same thing. As you said, We Are This Light indicates the fact that we are all self awareness. And over time, our self-narrative gets stronger that. And that's kind of what leads to a lot of our issues in life when we start believing our self-narrative more than relying on the fact that we are this self-awareness. And you know, we call it Buddha nature. Uh, you can say it's, you know, everyone has a little bit of the Holy Spirit in them. You can say it's a little piece of God. You can say it's part of 
the universal divine feminine. Um, different traditions capture that concept in different ways, but the fact that pretty much every tradition has some way of saying it and kind of shows the truth and the validity of the statement that you need to be. All right, I'm having internet trouble. You said every religion what? Every religion finds some way to say that. Oh, you know, yeah. whether, it, whether it's the universal divine feminine, uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, within us. It's, you, know, you, can, you can look at pretty much everything and find that in there. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's a very... And then even... Um... Like if you look into Christianity, I'm forgetting the exact quotes off my head, but even in Christianity, um, Jesus says something like, your body is a temple, and you can worship God just by taking care of yourself and worshiping from wherever you are and thanking Him for your existence. You don't need to go to church because your body is a temple, which I think is kind of a Christian way of saying that God lives within you. Um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus was a pretty amazing dude. Oh yeah, I like I don't identify as a Christian, but the main reason I don't identify as a Christian has more to do with how people would see it than it does my beliefs on the religion. Like I love Christ's teachings. Um he's a very uh, like I'm very down for don't judge people let he's who's without sin throw the first stone. Um there's a lot of the Bible that I absolutely agree with and I think the parts that people use when um when they're using it to be judgmental, uh, it being the Bible, uh, I think they're taking things out of context on purpose to fit a narrative that they want to tell. They're not actually looking at things in context as they actually are. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it was Gandhi who said... Uh, Gandhi who said what? Who said, I love your Christ. I don't particularly care for your Christians. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's definitely true. Um so you're lagging really bad. Uh, usually when my oh jeez, yeah, it's cool. We've we've gotten most of what you said so far. Um, I'm gonna have to add on to my little intro a bit, but it'll be fine. Um, what we are gonna have to do is about in five minutes, once my phone charges a bit, because it's dead right now. Um, when my internet gets like this, what I do is I turn the wireless hotspot on on my phone. Um, so my phone is absolutely zero percent dead right now. Uh, in about five ten minutes, we'll take a little break. I'll go out and smoke, and we'll. I've been putting an intermission in these things anyway, so hopefully the second half will be better. Um, there's still a lot of other things I want to ask you. All right, so the main number one question I remember from those notes I lost is that I've kind of come to a point in my life where I feel like I have a. I don't think I'm better than anyone for this, but I feel like I have a higher understanding. Um, and I feel like it's my job to help spread that understanding. But at the same time, um, I'm a narcissistic sociopath. And telling myself I'm better than people and trying to inflict my will on them um, is a really bad problem for me. And so I'm kind of at this crossroads where it's like, yeah, I want to help people and be compassionate and teach people to see a better way of living. But at the same time, I don't want to be a narcissist and abuse them into doing it. Um, thoughts on that? 
you, you cut out there right at the end. At the same time. Um, hold on a second. Uh, you cut out there just now. God damn it. <laughs> we might just have to pop the intermission right now. Um, but what you what part did I cut out at? I'll try and repeat myself. Well, just at the very end, and I think I basically got your your gist, which comes along with you. You've done some study. Understanding, you've got an understanding that the average person doesn't have. How do you balance compassionately teaching and helping other people with abuse people? Um, with you cut out there between how do I balance between being compassionate and helping other people, and then I just heard abuse people like there was a <laughs> break in there. Yeah, how do you balance between being compassionate and wanting to help people along with? Yeah, um, you cut out completely now. Do I still have the internet? I can do All right. Um, how do I balance along being compassionate and helping other people with, I'm assuming you're going to say staying humble and um, not abusing people and forcing them to live my way? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, basically. Yes, that's exactly the problem I have. Um, so, what are your thoughts on that? You seem like you have a much better understanding of all this stuff than pretty much anyone I've ever met. <laughs> well, good. Fooled you. <laughs> uh, that's the right answer, too. Um, um, yeah, so, basically... This is part of the journey. This is part of the path, okay? And one of the things that we've seen throughout then teachers is that this is a very real par real problem and part of the process and getting stuck here. All right, now hold up, man. I'm going to mm -hmm. call time out on this because my internet is being ridiculous. We're just going to call the intermission now. Um, okay. This is going to be another learning experience, this podcast. We'll get together another time, though. Like, I, I mean, the viewers, they didn't hear us talking about it, but we already agreed that I wasn't going to be able to ask you everything I wanted to ask you just yet. Um, and so I'll definitely bring you back on another time. I'm not going to ask you to do a series with me. Um, maybe it'll grow into that later, but for now, the way I envision it is I'm going to have different people talking about different things. Um, the main gist of the podcast is going to be spirituality but it's also going to cover all the other topics of my writing mental health addiction um, and politics because uh, I kind of feel like all four topics intertwine but the main pillar behind all of them is spirituality as far as I'm concerned so I want spirituality to be the core of the the podcast I want to have different people on and hear different points of view um, but I could definitely see me having you on as a regular guest. Sure. No, I know. I, I do have a kind of a hectic schedule, but when we plan it out like this. You know. All right. Yeah. And then so. the plan is actually the podcast is going to be biweekly. Well, there's going to be two podcasts. There's going to be one that's just me and my younger brother discussing philosophy. That's actually going to be mainly his podcast. Um, and then there's going to be this one. And then every Tuesday... Um, 
it's going to be one or the other, and they're going to be every other week. So I've already I've already got one other person I want to talk to. So that means it would that would put the next time that I'd try and have you on at least a month out. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, but okay. So break time, guys. Um, I'm going to have to end up doing a lot of trimming here. Um, I'm going to go smoke a cigarette and charge my phone. Hopefully the lag is fixed when I get back. Sorry about that. Uh, I swear everything he said was wise. So just if you guys can just think of the wisest answer to whatever I asked and just put that over those blanked lag spots, um, I promise that's what he said. All right, welcome to the intermission, guys. Um, sorry about the lag. That was really kind of cruddy. Um, I promise that the next half is some straight fire so stick around um since this is one of my earlier podcasts i just want to explain what's going on during these intermissions i'm just going to give you a little breather um and play you a song that i really enjoy um today the song is by a group called atmosphere um it's a hip-hop duo um i know hip-hop kind of has a bad rap against the, amongst a lot of people in the more spiritual crowds really all my demographics probably got a bad view of hip-hop i promise open your mind give this a listen um this is by far one of the most enlightened songs i've ever heard in my life i love it it's uh again by a hip-hop duo named atmosphere um and the song is called smart went crazy um i hope you enjoy Of the farms, and nobody knows where you'll end up. Only 
fun. Yeah, you thought it was a setup, well guess what? Now you can catch up with the rest of my best up. I got a few blocks left before I reach my destination and retrieve my breath. And God blessed every step I stole just to let me know she wouldn't ever let me go. Alright guys, um, that's about it for the song. Again, Atmosphere Smart Went Crazy. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, my bad. I hope I got better music for you next week. Um, here it is. Back to discussions with Dave talking to my buddy Dan. Uh, have a good one. So, before the break, you were having lots of lag. We're on my phone's network now, so hopefully that'll work. Um, why don't you go ahead and try answering that question again I had about balancing narcissism uh, versus wanting to help people and be compassionate and teach them. Right. So there's a lot going on in there, obviously. It's kind of a big topic, but I think the core starts with the recognition that as part of the path, and at least in terms of Zen, as part of the path, you do have a, a level of insight that most people haven't achieved. And it's dangerous. A lot of people stop there and they start thinking to themselves like, huh, I've experienced samadhi. I am enlightened. I know my true nature. Look at all of you peons who don't. Let me, let me show you how awesome I am and tell you about how great this experience is and make you do what I did so that you could achieve this too, right? Look at me. And, you know, that happens. And part of the way that the system helps that from becoming a, a permanent place for people is one of the things that we've talked about before, which is clear intention, which is the holding on of the great doubt, the great faith. To So the great doubt is, you know, that there is an option to end all this suffering. You know, we don't have to suffer and die as miserable human beings. Faith in the teaching and the path and the process we have great determination that life or this is a life or death issue. We will resolve this now. We will awaken, right? And then great passion, a sweet love of this practice. It's going to be hard at times. There's going to be times you don't want to do it, but you have a sweet passion for it that just keeps you coming back. And when you combine all these elements in the proper structure of a practice, you realize that, okay, so I've had some insights. Cool. Well, where do I go from here? If I've had this great insight, but as soon as I stop at a red light, I'm screaming and honking my horn because the dude in front of me didn't go when it turned green, I've still got work to do, you know? So 
insight and understanding and realization is kind of the beginning. Awakening is step one. From there on, you have to use that newfound insight to work on all your crap. You know, one of the four awakened vows addresses this as well. And it's really important. It says, however deep and elusive my shadow states are, I vow to experience and enlighten them all. And this, I think, is something that's important for balancing out your past, right? You know that you have antisocial personality disorder. You know that you have narcissistic traits and tendencies. You know that you have a habitual way of acting that is deeply ingrained in your psyche. And so you are rightly conscientious about how you're going to bring forth this insight with wisdom and compassion to help other people. But the important thing to remember is you are this light, right? Yeah. You choose what you're doing. That's very true. Um, yeah, that's a really good answer. I, I'm trying to unpack it all mentally right now. Um, one thing you said is uh, you talked about, um, you know, not having to live as a quote-unquote miserable human and stuff. One thing I've learned... Or it seems to me, I don't know if this is true, but it seems a lot of people, um, they just don't want to be awakened and the process hurts them too much. And trying to force them, force it on them, I've realized um, is like it's harmful to them and they're, they're never going to get it and all trying to force it on them is going to do is hurt them. And at the same time, thinking I'm superior um, to them is also not healthy. Like um, what I've learned... Um, I, I've actually hit that snag that you were talking about a lot where people go, all right, I'm enlightened. That means I can stop looking now. I've actually been hitting that snag for probably about six or seven years straight now. Um, and what I've learned is even if I have a, a higher understanding, that doesn't make me any better than anyone. As a matter of fact, I didn't truly have a higher understanding until I realized that not only are we all equal, we're all one and the same. Mm -hmm. And so I find it, um, I like I don't want to look down at people who don't have my understanding anymore. I want to be able to still learn the lessons that they can teach me. Um, because like I said in that one essay, I don't know if you read it, um, I've learned that I can learn from everybody and it is... It's my responsibility to listen for the lesson that they're put in my path to teach me. Absolutely. Yeah. Great realizations. Um, and, and there's a, you, you touched on a couple keys there, you know. One is that even if we're not going to learn something necessarily through interacting with people that don't want to wake up, and a lot of people don't, and it is deeply painful, and we'll get to that in a second. Everyone has a great chance to practice. Healing takes place in relationship. Every time you interact with somebody, you get to practice being a wise and compassionate human being. So even if you're not teaching them anything, even if they have no interest in what you have to say, even if you know they're stuck on 2 plus 2 and you're doing calculus, you're still practicing. You're practicing engaging. You're practicing relating to them. You're practicing radical self-acceptance. You're practicing radical acceptance of others. And you're recognizing the fact that this life 
is completely interconnected and completely interdependent. And at the end of that exchange, both of you will lay cause and effects that will deeply impact the other person's life. So in every moment, we have the chance to build the future and not just build the future in ourselves with how we behave, right? This is neuroplasticity. We're building new habits and how we behave, but also laying the groundwork and planting seeds in other people so that they can slowly come to the realization that they have work to do. Even if the only seed we plant is like, wow, that was a great conversation. That dude wasn't a jerk. Hmm. I didn't know people could not be jerks. I'm surprised, right? And it gets them thinking, even if that's all it is, that's our opportunity. So we always get to practice. And uh, you know, I think that's, that's really special. It's a beautiful thing to constantly be able to engage somebody from, from our heart. That wide open vulnerability is a difficult thing to show people. Yeah, it really is. And it's something that was like a core of the antisocial personality disorder is I did not want to expose that soft side of myself at all because I thought if I did, uh, I would get taken advantage of and abused and hurt and slapped down. And so I kind of like locked it up behind this iron shell and tried to treat people in a way that I thought would teach them um, to to harden their heart the way I had. Um, and what I've come to realize, it's only been a year now that I've been trying to change from the sociopathy. First, I got diagnosed with it. I didn't think it was a disorder. I thought it was useful and kept me alive. Um, and so I'm just now starting to come to the realization that um, that soft side that I've been trying to hide and all the stuff that I've been trying to keep buried deep down inside that's actually the stuff i need to force out and bring out and show people that more and when they abuse me i or when when i see them do something that i feel is an abuse or an attack i need to take it peacefully um it sounds really hippy dippy and that kind of conflicts with my core ideology though um because i do believe there's times where the loving thing you can do is defend yourself um and so I'm having a hard time balancing, like, do I go too all in on self-defense? Every time I'm trying to defend myself and standing up for myself, I'm doubtful about whether or not it's my disorder triggering that. Um, and then at the same time, anytime I'm out there exposing myself, I'm constantly afraid of getting hurt for it. Um, and so it's like become a real mental tug of war for me. Yeah, that's also spot on, you know, and you've touched on a couple of things. One of them is, is what we call idiot compassion. Um, and people generally think that being loving and soft and kind and compassionate and caring is weak, you know, and it means that you can't stand up for yourself and they associate that with being a a, a doormat and you just people walk over you and you don't have boundaries but what they don't realize is that old thinking sorry yeah and and uh but compassion starts at home right so you have to be compassionate towards yourself as well and it's compassionate towards yourself to to let out those feelings and to understand that you know i i have boundaries and if you're going to violate my boundaries i will not permit that right so 
compassion doesn't necessarily mean everyone gets away with what they want. Compassion can also mean getting out your big stick, right? But it's where are you coming from when you do that? When you're going into a mode of self-defense or tough love or that kind of instruction, is it coming from anger? Is it coming from fear? Or is it coming from that very deep caring that we have about everything that's happening to us? Because let's face it, you don't get angry about stuff you don't care about. Yep. So come come from the caring. Um, that's a good way of looking at it. I'm going to have to wait for real-world situations to arise so I can try and apply that. Because when I'm not in that mode, it's hard to explain. Um, even for me, I don't really understand it. What happens is when I'm being abusive like that, what uh, what will happen is I'll perceive someone as attacking me and then go into self-defense mode when they're not attacking me at all and my self-defense is actually offense. Um, and when my mind is pulling that little wool over my eyes and making me see something that's not there, um, I don't know what's happening. And if someone tries to tell me it's happening, I'll accuse them of trying to use my mental disorder to shut me down. Um and so when it's happening, I have no clue that it's going on. So, but I think you actually did hit um, uh, something that might be useful is when when I am angry like that and when I am acting out like that, um, analyzing why I'm angry and is this anger coming from like compassion and truly defending myself or did the other side actually have a right to do what they did? Um, Right. Well, and also you have to understand that again, compassion starts at home. You have a lifetime of this this type of reactivity in place, and yeah, when it's when it happens, so it's we. I view triggers like stoplights. Right. When the light turns green, does it make you press the gas pedal? Um. No, I have to do it myself. I see what you're saying. Right. So now that's not to say that it it can't be unconscious, or, and and that you know, whatever, but this is where practice comes in. A true meditative practice gives you the mental capacity to increase the space between trigger and response or trigger and reaction. So eventually you go from trigger reaction to trigger response. And that's practice that takes time. And it also, there's a certain amount of accountability, right? So um, this is an ultimately personally accountable process. And in, in, in our morning service, one of the things we say is that all of the deluded behaviors ever manifested by me, born of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance, because of my body, speech, and mind, through meditation and action, I now confess and purify, right? So when that trigger happens, you know, it might not be until four, five, six days later that you realize, like, ah, crap, did it again, right? And that's okay. You say, you know what, I did it again. You call, you pick up the phone, you're like, dude, you know that time where I was like, being asked again yeah i realized that that was my old habits you know i'm sorry i'm working on it thank you for staying in touch with me and uh you know we'll keep working on this right and like you have that moment and each moment you have an opportunity to to do something about it and once you're once you're in it good luck pulling yourself out of it you know like that might not happen you know and that's that's fine that's part of it and part of this is radical self-acceptance Right now, that's part of how your brain is wired. And if you see it, and if you want to change it through practice and repetitive action, 
you can get better and better and better and better at it. Those voices will probably never go away. You know, like I, I am, I have abandonment issues and unlovability issues and perfectionist tendencies and, and stuff, you know, that call up in deep shame loops and like, go fucking blow your head off, you know? And I've, you know, I've got stuff going on in my head too. The voices don't necessarily go away, but now from that pure selfless awareness, you're a witness to them. And you're saying like, wow, this narrative is really strong. How am I going to react to this? How am I responding to this? What triggered this? Why is this going on inside me? And then you get to do something and you can either do what it is telling you to do, or you can decide, you know what, I'm going to do something else. This is uncharted territory. And when we're reprogramming the neurons in our brain to take new habitual paths, it's actually physically painful. Those changes in your brain cause pain. So that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to put in the shadow work and do something different. And when you accept that and you understand that, that that's part of the process, then it can be powerfully liberating. Um, that's all very true. I mean, I've never experienced physical pain from it. Um, I guess there's sometimes now that you're, you're talking about it, I can see how I've had like sort of cluster headaches that were triggered by or could have been triggered by that. Um, I'm not going to say they were. I don't like to, to self-diagnose. If I can't have science prove it, I try to um, because I try to to just treat it as speculation and not say. Right. But I, there are times where I'm thinking um, that, yeah, trying to change actually did trigger these hard cluster headaches in the back of my head when I was in a moment of pressure where I had to decide, do I let myself be triggered or do I fight it and stay the same? Another yeah. thing... Um, shit, it popped in my head and then I lost it. Oh, another thing is your subconscious mind will defend those behaviors. Um, Absolutely. And it'll, it'll, your subconscious will tell you that everything you're doing is not the right thing to do. And you need to do the opposite of what you're trying to do. And you need to do what your subconscious, and your subconscious will literally do mental, all kinds of mental gymnastics to defend it. And that's your subconscious trying to defend itself or my subconscious trying to defend itself from the change, um, that is the core of the perceptual distortions. Like, that's... My my subconscious will warp everything I see so that I don't see that I need to change. Um, and, and it becomes a mindfucker. Um, also, I did want to say, I noticed when you said you have perfectionist tendencies and stuff, um, I don't think you have a personality disorder at all. But those perfectionist tendencies, they definitely come out um, in, like, I'm not saying you're a narcissist, but you definitely do have some things that are similar to narcissistic traits that I can see. And, like, um, that's the core of narcissism is being a hyper-perfectionist and holding yourself to a higher standard. Um, And exactly what you said is what comes of it is because you hold yourself to such a higher standard and see yourself so high above you can never meet your own standard and you're no matter how good you do you're constantly telling yourself you're crap Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't understand that about narcissism they don't they think oh they think they're oh so high and mighty and blah 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 they don't understand there's a lot of self-hatred and inadequacy that comes along with that like I'm mostly saying that I relate with those feelings a lot because if you you read the essay, I remember I asked you Mm -hmm. about it the other day. Um, Yeah, because of my narcissistic 
traits, I can definitely relate with that feeling where I hold myself to a perfectionist standard that I can never meet and then I'm always going to fall short. What's the point of ever doing anything if I'm never going to live up to the standard I hold myself to? I'm a piece of crap. I'm always going to be. It's not even worth trying to change it. I'm just going to fucking lay in bed and not move for a month. Um, that's definitely, definitely a thing that I just wanted to say I relate with you on that feeling, I guess. Um, and maybe get it on the podcast recorded so people that don't go through that kind of thing can maybe understand it better. Um, that's my whole thing is I don't want to teach people anything and I don't want to make anyone do anything they don't want to do. I just want to show people a perspective that they haven't seen before. That's my Mm -hmm. goal. Yeah. That's a great goal. Yeah. Once we, once people start to accept other perspectives then perspective becomes malleable, right? Yep. And, and all of a sudden everything changes for us and, and we get a lot more, we get a lot closer with each other when we come from a core of understanding, uh, which starts with that open mind and anything we can do to increase people's willingness to listen to other perspectives is a good thing in my book. Yeah. And that's, well, the reason that's my big thing is because I've come to realize that not looking at things from other people's perspective was one of the core foundations of my, um, Uh, it still is one of the core foundations of my disorder is I never want to see things from other people's eyes I just want to say this is how it looks from my eyes and because this is how it looks in my head to me that makes it right and anyone who sees it differently is wrong and I've learned that um, if I don't adopt that attitude and I try my best to find the reasons why I'm wrong and try and prove myself wrong and look at things from as many different perspectives as possible, not only do I get a better understanding, but when I do come back to my position, my position is stronger for it. Yes. Yeah, it's a great process. And it also kind of reflects one of the deep truths of who we are as people, and that is that we are wholly conditioned beings. Right. Definitely. So, as we as we receive these conditions throughout our lives, we establish these patterns that become very real to us, forgetting the fact that there was this whole process that laid layer upon layer upon layer upon layer that built up these reactions and these thought processes and these worldviews. And when we realize that that's how we're made and that's how everyone else is made, well, then what makes our perspective more real than somebody else's? Exactly. Um, and that's definitely exactly what you just said is what brought me to the realization of looking at things from other people's perspective. Um, and then also when you try and put yourself in other people's shoes and see things from their perspective, you see things about yourself that you won't see from your perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what I mean by it strengthens your position. One more question, because you said you had till 1210, and it's 1207 now. One more mm-hmm. question. Um, so there's this thing in Buddhism, um, non-duality, non-dualness, um, and then also in Taoism, there's yin-yang. Are they essentially the same same lesson in different words? Ish, right? So um, non-duality is kind of more like the idea that there is no separation between subject and object. So any illusion that you and I are absolutely separate and unrelated, independently existing, 
not conditioning each other is is wrong. That's a misperception. And there's lots of ways that you can kind of help with the realization, but non-duality has to be something that's internally recognized. And this is kind of the universal life. So this would be more of like the Tao and the Taiji or the yin yang represents that same kind of balance. But um, obviously there's a slight difference because non-duality points more towards what is the middle way of emptiness um, where where you have dualistic relativity that comes together to create a whole universe whereas non-duality is much more in terms of a a I guess they're both still relative they get, they get really close I don't know I think to split them up might be splitting hairs that's what I was asking. Is um, yeah, yeah. Thing? As as I was talking, I realized that no, they're they're really, really, really close. Yeah, I don't know if they're different. The reason I ask is because I end up I'm in a lot of Facebook groups. I'm sure you've seen me on Facebook. I love discussing things with people. I love commenting and debating and going back and forth with people. Something that always happens when I try and bring up yin yang is people always try and say, oh no, the duality of yin-yang isn't real because everything's non-dual and we're all one. And I try to explain to them that yin-yang isn't saying everything is two separate pieces. Yin-yang is saying the things that appear to be two separate pieces actually are one whole thing, and they're not working against each other. They're working with each other to maintain a balance. Correct. And so, um, like, uh, the reason I ask is because a lot of people... Um, tend to throw non-duality in the face of yin-yang and think non-duality cancels yin-yang out. So basically, I just wanted a sound clip uh, that I could use to narcissistically shove in people's faces <laughs> if they're wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, one. L let me let me give you an extra fuel for the fire then. So understanding, if we go back to the original Chinese name for that symbol, right? It's Taiji, which is the great ultimate, right? or the great extremes, right? And it's kind of like the same word in, in Buddhism where emptiness actually is a double negative that says that all creation is mutually codependent, right? Well, the Taiji, when you look at it as yin and yang, naturally creates this dualistic thing. It's, it's two extremes coming together to create a whole. And the reason that the Taiji is drawn in one circle is because it is a, 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 a balance of unified harmony between the extremes, which is very precisely what non-duality is in the sense that non-duality removes all of the barriers between the experiencer and the experience. Um, and I think if there is any sort of difference, it will be that philosophically Taoism looks at nature a lot, whereas Buddhism focuses very internally. So non-dualism is usually expressed in the concept of a lack of separation between subject and object or experiencer and experience, where non-duality is or where the Taiji is kind of a non-duality in the sense of the relationship of all things to each other, and that you can't have anything without these relativistic understandings, but these relativistic understandings come together to create one whole piece of nature in balance. Right? So the, I, I think they're essentially the same concept, just from slightly different philosophical starting points, um, but they, they come to the same place, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and then just one last thing before I let you go. Um, that 
those different philosophical starting points, you probably understood it. But when I said I was a Zen Taoist, not a Zen Buddhist in my one essay, it probably made sense to you. I don't think that would have made much sense to other people. So um, I just want to clarify that because it's you just touched on it really well, how the, the yin-yang is coming from a sense of nature and looking outward. And um, it's kind of hard to explain, but... Uh, another place that these two starting points find a little conflict is where mindfulness comes in. Whereas Taoism says don't be mindful and just let it flow. And then Buddhism says the opposite and be ultra mindful. Um, that's like I, I use a lot of Buddhism, but I still tend more towards Taoism than I do Buddhism. Where I can tell by listening to your essays that you tend more towards Buddhism. Um, but that's just going to be a topic for the next time you're on the show, man. Yeah, well, that sounds good because I've got lots to say about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I do too. And um, that was if we hadn't had so much trouble getting the mic set up and all that stuff, um, that's probably one of the topics I would have had you touch on. Like I, like I said though, from the start, there was no way I was ever going to be able to ask you everything I wanted to ask you and ever talk to you about everything I wanted to talk to you in the length of one podcast. So this was destined to be more than one episode um but yeah i appreciate you um you're awesome man yeah thanks for having me on i appreciate it i'm looking forward to digging into this stuff a little bit more because i think everything we talked about we could expand on and and talking about uh, those, those perspectives and zen Taoism and mindfulness versus Wu way you know that there's a a lot there Oh yeah, there's definitely a whole lot to unpack. And then also another thing I wanted to ask you about was like proper meditation techniques. Like what do you actually do? Um, so um, we'll have to, I mean we, we talk on Facebook all the time. We're always going back and forth in the comment section. So I'm sure I'll talk to you about this some other time. We'll get another episode set up. I'll have my game together better so I'm not playing around trying to figure out how to record everything um, on the fly. Like that Skype threw me a curveball. I'll explain that in text messages what happened there. Um, but um, yeah, so we should have more time. I should be more on top of my game next time. I'll make sure to have my phone charged and be connected to my phone internet next time so there's not as much lagging. But this was a good introduction. I think uh, the listeners will they'll get to know you. Um, is there anything you want to say before I let you go? No, just uh, again, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it and I appreciate everything that you're working on to, to try and elevate yourself. You know, that's hard work and it takes a lot and I respect that. Uh, I respect you showing me the way, man. So, thank you. <laughs> I'll do my best. Yep, yep. Um, take it easy, bud. All right, you too. Talk to you later.